0: All right. Good morning to you. Let me ask you a question. Is God good or what? I love this new song of the Holy Spirit in God's presence. And oh, I hope you just up with a prayer that, that he would fill this place, fill the atmosphere of this place to have his will. And His way in your lives. And if you're here visiting this morning, we are just glad you came. We got a great day plan. Like we're going to get the physical, the spiritual food here. We're going to have lunch, and when we get done, come back tonight. We got singing, we got preaching, and we got ice cream. Can you beat that anywhere? Can you beat that anywhere? It's just a great day. It just really is. Now here's the deal. You know, if you've been coming, or maybe you through the, this, you figured out we've been studying the Ten Commandments, and when we got down to the adultery and to the murder and to the stealing part. We, we talked about that and we brought a parallel into John ten ten. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then we took a field trip. And last week we took a look at David's sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. Talking about stealing, killing, and destroying. Now I promised you, I promised you at the end of the service that this week we would go to Psalm 51 and see the glorious Psalm of repentance. And then I stopped at Farm Fresh. Well, you've done that before. You know, sometimes intentionally, and sometimes not. You, you tell your wife, honey, I'm going to Rule King, and I'm going to get some nuts and bolts. So you go to Rule King, you walk in the hardware apartment, you get some nuts and bolts. And then you drive by, you head home, and you drive by and you see the farm fresh sign. And a voice whispers to you, buy ice cream. This has happened to you, Right? Buy ice cream. So you walk in the back door with your wife, and you've got the nuts and the bolts. Yay, you didn't forget that. But she goes, what's up with the ice cream? He said, well, you know, I was going by the store. You know, it's like a logical detour to stop at the store. Well, that's what happened. As I was preparing for this week in Psalm 51, I'm sitting there going, okay, we have David, and we have, you know, we have Bathsheba. We have her pregnant. We have, you know, Uriah dying. Okay. And we finished last week with, you know, Nathan comes and tells a story about sheep. And then he looks at David points his old bony prophet finger and says, you are the man. And then David says, you know, I have sinned against the Lord. And I said, okay, okay. So so if we go there and then we all of a sudden jump over to Psalm 51 where it's a great psalm of repentance, of restoration. You've got to come back next week. You just got to come back next week. It's a great story of repentance. But then I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. What happened in between? I mean, trust me, from the time that, that Uriah dies until the time when Nathan the prophet points his bone and finger and says, you are the man, that wasn't like days. That was like months. That was like she was pregnant, and the baby is born like eight months later, and then there's some period of time after that before... Nathan shows up and says, Thou art the man. What was God doing in David's life? He stopped and he got ice cream. There's, there's a chunk there that as a teacher of the word of God, I just didn't want to leave out. Because how do you get from this disaster, this storm, and how do you get to build and resolve? Do you see the title? You know, how do we go from the storm of Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah and get to the point where you say, I have sinned, and then Psalm 51? How do you build that resolve? And God is just in the business of that. Now, I told my wife this morning, I've got to be like way careful because you don't hear many messages on how God works in our life to bring about repentance. We would, we would call it the chastening of the Lord. We would call it the discipline of the Lord. And you know, there's too many false guys out there. well some of them well-intended preachers who will really take a rod and beat you to death. And before long, you believe that every flat tire or every cold is because you sinned against God. And that is so not true. Not every sickness, believe me, not every sickness is a result of the discipline of God. Not every time you lose your job, is that a result of the discipline of God. Not every time you have a flat tire on a rainy morning, is that a result of the the discipline of God. In fact, a lot of times it's not. It's just called life. But with that said, God is in the process of working to bring us back to Him if we have drifted away. And that does involve discipline. Why? Well, you're going to hear it over and over again. I'll go and give you a taste because he loves you. Because, that's a good place for an amen. Because he loves you. You know, I, I was not... Some of you guys, you know, in high school and stuff, in junior high, you know, you, if I were to say, tell me about the fight you had in high school, and you would go, which one? You know, some of you guys would have to take off your shoes to count the times that you got in a tussle or a fight at school, you know, and had a fight with a, with a guy. I hope you weren't fighting with girls, but you had a fight with guys, okay? So, so you have to do that. I've only got one. I've only got one. It was ninth grade. And we were in this class, you know, and I, just, I remember that the, it was, it, you know, back then we had, by the way, that junior high. And junior high went through the ninth grade. And so we had these tables, and we were sitting there, and the teacher had stepped out of the room. And this dude and he was a friend, and this dude reaches over and gets my pencil, okay? And so he starts playing with my pencil. That's cool. I can playing with my pencil. That's okay. But then he did this. And I said, don't break. Now, I'm not a fighter. I told you there's one. Don't break my pencil. He went, ha, 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 and stabbed my pencil in half. And let me just tell you something. When it snapped, I snapped. Don't listen. Look at me. You deacons, don't you break my pencil. Don't you be breaking my pencil. All right. He broke my pencil. And here's what happened. Now, again, I'm not. This is so abnormal. I I laughed at myself sitting, you know, 30, 40 years ago. I flipped the table over, crawled over the table, got that dude down on the floor, put him in a headlock, And has beaten him in the head with my fist. It was a bad day. (laughs) Guess who walked in? Yeah, the teacher did. And it didn't matter if he broke my pencil or not, we were going to see the coach. So out the door we went with our detention slips, and we're going, you know, we're all, you know, we're talking, going, dude, you know, what was that all about? I don't know, man, you know, dude, sorry, you know. Well, we got to see the coach, you know, two swats a day for five days. Yeah, you show up at school. You go to the coach. He pops you twice with his board, and you start your day. Good morning. How are you? Bend over. I mean, it was like y'all know this. Grab your ankle. Well, back then I could grab my ankles. <laughs> can't, can't quite, can't quite grab my ankles anymore. But he got the pants good and tight, and he got the uh, the uh, skin good and tight. And boy, chokes five days. Now there is a reason why I only have one fight. <laughs> I said, I don't know about the thrill of victory. <laughs> I do know about the agony of defeat. And I don't ever want to do that again. And that discipline changed me. And I just, I don't know what made me snap that day. But whatever it was, I got it under control quick. Because I didn't want to experience that again. And that is the purpose of discipline. Really whether it be with your children whether it be, well, they don't even do it at school anymore. You, you students today, y'all got out of it. I tell you what. Back in my day, like I said, the coach had a paddle. and It wasn't thin either. And, and we, you know, we got corporal punishment then. In, in, uh, is it corporal? Is that right? Corporal or private? I don't know. Anyway, punishment. Punishment. You'll get it later. All right? Or whether it's God. Or whether it's God. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to look at Psalm 32. Just two verses there. Then we're going to go to Psalm 38, and then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 3, 19, and 20. Now, I understand it's really important that I keep moving, so don't let me get bogged down, Judy. Give me a hand or something. Wave at me if I seem like I... Because I really want to do the whole deal because I think it's really, really important. Are you ready? Are you ready? Now, now again, you're going to hear some good truth today. You may want to get a pencil out or at least if you have a good memory, memorize This will be on the web. I really think it's something we need because we don't hear much biblical teaching on it. So in Psalm 32, and this is on your sermon sheet. The guys will have it up up on the screen in just a moment, all right? Here's how it starts, and we're not going to make it very far before we stop and talk. When I kept silent. Now this is, Psalm 32 is actually written after Psalm 51. Because in Psalm 51, David says, when all this happens in my life, this restoration takes place, then I will teach transgressors and sinners your ways. So Psalm 32 is the answer to Psalm 51, And so he's talking about this experience with this nine-month, eight-month, ten-month period between the time when he was discovered with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah and thou art the man. He's talking about those nine months there. And he says, when I kept silent. Now, again, it's easy to define for David's life. It was that period of time. It's from the time that he thought as a leader, because he was the king, and everybody was on a paycheck, and the people that weren't on a paycheck were out fighting a war where he should have been, okay? He thought he could control the outcome. He thought by murdering Uriah, he could control the outcome. So he murders Uriah, brings Bathsheba into the house after the period of mourning, brings Bathsheba and marries her, and goes on with life. He thinks. He thinks. He thought he could keep silent. He thought he could keep silent. He thought everything was under control. In fact, I'd love to have been a a fly on the wall in his prayer closet because I bet David kept right on praying. He probably prayed these powerfully wonderful prayers, but the problem was that there was a problem between his heart and God's heart. He was no longer a man after God's own heart. Now, here's the deal. In America, we have a problem. In America, no, no, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. In the American church, we have a problem. I mean, we can look at David and say, yeah, we know what David did. Boy, that's easy. But, you know, there's this, there's this thing going on in the American church where it's almost like we pretend like we never sin. And, and if we do sin, um, it's, it's like, you know, that we just kind of gloss it over. It's almost like if it's not, um, if it's not murder, adultery, um, something that puts you in jail. Um, if it's not the, the big one, it's like it doesn't count. It's like God's only keeping score on the big ones, that God only cares about the big ones. Where do we get that theology from? You may have got it from some preacher who wanted to tickle your ears, but listen, God cares about sin. God cared enough for, about sin that He sent Jesus Christ to die to pay for the, the penalty of our sin, and God cares about the holiness of of his children and how that we live. God does care. Now, here's the deal there is no difference in sin. I want to make this clear. There's not big sin and little sins. You know, if uh, Ben and I think about what you said the other day at our meeting with the hellfighters, you know, she gave her testimony. And um, Richard responded to her, you know, these guys have been drugs, alcohol, you know, mot- bikers, you know, biker testimonies. And she said how she was raised in a Christian home. And even when Richard prayed, he prayed for the little church girl testimony. Because Bena, you know, Bena was probably 23 before she sinned. You know, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Just, you pay me a quarter afterwards, okay? You pay me a quarter afterwards, all right? But the bottom line is, didn't smoke, didn't chew, and didn't run around with boys who do. You know, that's what, that was my testimony. I was, I was a really decent person. But let me tell you something. It took just as much grace. It took just as much grace to save Moral Benidardi, who went to church, and it did the biker guys. Let me say that again. You need to grasp this. I think we have this deal going where we think, okay, if we, didn't, if we were pretty good growing up and we asked God to save us when we were 8 years old, we had a young lady come to the office today and she was 8 years old she got saved, it took just as much grace to save that 8-year-old as it did the dude who was doing math and drugs and all of that. Okay? So there are no, there are no big and little sins. All of us are depraved sinners. On our, again, I said it, uh, I think Wednesday night, on our best day, we are depraved sinners. So, so there's not big and there's not little. But here's the deal I want you to get. There's a, there's a scripture in, in a, the Song of Solomon of all places. The Song of Solomon 2.15. Let, let me read it to you. I could give you my translation, but I'll give you the real one. Song of Solomon, they say this. It's some brothers talking. Um, catch us the foxes. "...the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender tender grapes." That's a really good verse. Let me read it again. "...catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes." Now listen, the bottom line is, it's a beautiful illustration, it's a clear illustration. In that region they would have known this. The smallest of foxes that would slip under the radar... Would come in and enjoy the grapes. And when the harvest time came, there were no grapes left because the little foxes had spoiled the vines. Now, whether, rather, whether it's better, whether it's an elephant that spoils the vines or whether it's a little fox that spoils the vines, the vines are still spoiled. Whether it's a huge sin, one of the atomic bombs we talk about, Or whether it's your day-by-day lifestyle of allowing, and I'm going to put in parentheses for you, small sins, sins of the heart, both ways the vines are spoiled. And God cares about both. God cares about both. Whether it's a nuclear bomb or it's a lifestyle of sins of the heart, some that people would never know were occurring a hardness of heart, bitterness, unforgiveness, jealousy, envy, whether it's those kinds of things, it doesn't matter. The vines are still spoiled. So in America, in the church in America, if we go to church at least once a week, better if you do two, and then, of course, really good if you do three. If you do an organized visitation program, you're really doing well. If you write a check, Okay? Um, if, if you go to a Sunday school class, if you maybe serve on a committee or two, those are all things, and woohoo! Boy, super, super Christian. But at the same time, what if your heart's full of anger? What if your heart's full of jealousy? You know, if you keep silent about those things, the result is the same, spoiled vines. So, unconfessed sin in our lives just impacts our fellowship with the father that's what happened in psalm 32 38 that's what it talks about it's huge and it's important so david said when he kept silent when he did not confess and repent something happened that's my whole point point. and in the church in america when we have sin that we live with unconfessed whether it be a sin of the heart or the nuclear bomb it impacts our fellowship with the father and here's how it all starts when I was silent, my bones, my bones those goans are tough. My bones became brittle with my groaning all day long. Now again, I gotta be careful with time, but y'all know David was the singer. Uh, there's 150 Psalms in the Bible. David wrote a huge chunk of them, and the Psalms was the Jewish hymn book. They would sing melodies to them, and they would sing the word of God. He was a large author of a chunk of those. Okay? And the Bible says when he kept silent, when he refused to confess his sin, when he refused to turn from his sin, then instead of being a singer, he became a groaner. Instead of being a singer, he was a crooner, he became a groaner. I want to tell you this. If you once were a singer and now you're a groaner, It's not a personality thing. You need to examine why you changed. Why have you turned from someone who once had joy in their life, who enjoyed singing, to someone who groans? In David's case, it was sin. And I am convinced because I know there's an epidemic of unconfessed sin in the church today. Not all big ones. It could be the little foxes. But there's an epidemic. We've lost the vision of how powerful confession and repentance is in our lives. So if you find yourself being melancholy or, or, or just, well, just a groaner. When you used to be a singer, you're a groaner. You've got to ask yourself the question, why is this happening in my life? All right. So he goes on and says this he says for day and night your hand was heavy on me and my strength was drained as in the summer heat you know this several times several times this summer back when it's hot i would do stupid things like getting out and mowing the grass at two o'clock and i mean i was literally whooped now i know i'm not in the best physical condition in my life right now but i mean i, I first off i have like point 0.1 acres of grass and i would come and I would say, judy i've hit the wall i've hit the wall And and David spiritually had hit the wall. He He was like someone whose strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Like a man trying to cross the desert without water. But what I want you to see, and this is so big. This is so big. Look what it says. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. I want you to understand this. That God is relentless. God is relentless. But hear me. Hear me. God is relentless in his love for you. I want you to understand that this topic we're talking about is not about God getting you. It's, I don't think it's even about God punishing you. It is, and boy, that's, you need to write that down. Because some preacher somewhere told you, if I don't tithe, God will punish me. If I don't do this, God will punish me. God loves you and will seek to restore you back into fellowship with him. God is a God of love. Oh, yeah. That's a good place to clap. God is a God of love. You know, I was listening to a guy preach. This is not going to work. I, I heard a guy preach, uh, and just a snippet of his sermon, and he's talking about the two great pictures or portraits and God's word about how much God loves us. And the first one is this. The first one is this. I mean, I mean, it's huge. It's huge. Again, if you ever get in a situation and you think God doesn't love you, just remember this. Not this one, but what happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. This is the anchor of love. This is the anchor of hope. This forever says, no matter what your circumstance tell you, no matter what, what your brain is telling you, no matter what your friends are telling you, This says, I love you. I love you. And the other scripture that he points to is Hosea the prophet. And he said, with Hosea the prophet, God was trying to demonstrate his great love for the nation of Israel. So he had the preacher, the prophet, go marry a prostitute. Figure that one out. He goes and marries a prostitute. And of course, she is unfaithful to him. All right? And listen to this. This is Hosea 3.1. She leaves him. She marries him. Unfaithfulness and leaves. He doesn't even know where she is. Okay, he doesn't even know where she is. And then God comes back and says this in chapter 3 of Hosea. And the Lord said to me, go again. Aren't you glad God goes again? Aren't you glad God goes again? <laughs> and again, and again, and again. <laughs> I'm so glad for that. Go again, love the woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they have turned to other gods. God had the prophet go find that prostitute and bring her back home again. Because it's a beautiful picture of how much God loves us. And God loves us enough that when we uh, have sin in our life, when we either totally walk away from God in some crazy way or even a day by day process of, of sins of the heart, He loves us enough to bring us back home. God is relentless, not in His punishment. He will, for the unforgiven at the great white throne judgment, be unrelentless in His punishment. But for His children, for His children, He is unrelentless. In his love. Don't you forget that. You take that home. I know, listen again, I'm not sure how far we're going to go, but, but listen again. I know when your daddy thanks, uh, spanked you or your mama spanked you, you didn't feel too loved. If you're probably about 30 now, you do. You understand what the daddy or the mom who disciplined in love was trying to do understand God's relentless in His love. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then, Then we go to Psalm 38. Again, we won't stay here a long time, but there are some points I'd like to make. Now, Psalm 38 describes, well, first off, it's attributed to David, and there are some scholars who believe that this was not David at all. There's some scholars that believe David is. I personally believe it fits very well with the Bathsheba scenario. I think that's where it came from. So that's how we're going to teach it today. Now, in Psalm 38, verse 1, the Bible says, Lord, do not punish me in your anger or discipline, discipline me in your wrath. Now, again, I want you to understand something. Often, sometimes, God's love can feel like anger. Because God, listen, look at me, you're not going to like this one. God will do whatever necessary to bring you home. God will do whatever necessary to bring you home. And sometimes that's going to be very, very difficult. And you may say, God's mad at me. No, God loves you. God loves you. Loves you enough to get you out of that mess that you're sitting in right now. Because he came that we may have life and have it more abundantly, not live in a cesspool. So he flat loves you that much so don't forget that lord do not punish me in your anger or just in your wrath for your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has pressed on me now we've got to pause here we've got a pause here you know peter writes a great verse in first peter chapter five and verse five it goes like this likewise the first part doesn't mean anything to us this morning Likewise, you, are, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So place that aside. Here's the part I want you to see. Clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves. All of you. Not just preachers. Not just deacons. Not all of you who are believers. With humility toward one another. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I want you to grab hold of that and where he says, for your arrows have sunk into me. You want to picture what it is when God opposes you? This is it. This is it. What does it feel like, Dwayne, when God opposes you? This is it. It's like this. And again, it is not pleasant. But the purpose is for you to come home. The proud man says, I will not confess. I will not repent. The humble man says, God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. So listen, one thing I know for certain, you don't want God opposing you. Life ain't fun. You know, happy wife, happy life. A life of repentance and confession with God is a happy life. Can I have an amen? It's a happy life. So he goes on and says this. There is no health in my body. I think King James says there is no soundness in my body. He goes on and says there is no strength in my bones because of my sin. Now, get this. The the skeletal system in the Hebrew language dealt with the whole person. So he's saying there is no soundness in my body. Um, There is no strength in my whole body. Why? 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 Because of my sin. Don't miss that. This man, and I believe it was David, I think it was after Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, and he's ignoring God, he's being silent, and there's no soundness, there's no joy in his life. Why? Because of his sin. Now, I like this. I think It's so strong and so powerful. He goes on to this. For my sins have flooded over my head, they are, a, they are a burden too heavy for me to bear. God, Jesus died to free you from this. Jesus died that you wouldn't be drowning in your sin. Jesus died so you wouldn't have to carry the burden of your sin. Why do we want to have a slave mentality and go back to be slaves to sin when Jesus died that we could be free from sin? Our pride will do that. Our pride, I deserve, I want. And our pride Does that It causes us To continue to be silent To live in direct rebellion To God Look with me please um, At Psalm 38 verse number 5 My wounds See you had this emotional thing The first part The second part At least in David's case Was so physical My wounds are foul and festering Why? I love this Because of my foolishness I'm going to read it again my wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. Now, a key teaching is that word "because." It's important we understand what's going on in our lives. If, if if this was us and there was a physical thing going on with us, we might say, "Dwayne, your wounds are foul and festering. What's the reason?" Well, now wait a minute. Let's don't get personal. I would say it's my wife's fault. It's your fault. It's the deacon's fault. It's my current situation. My boss is mean. They don't pay me enough, so i embezzled. Listen, God doesn't want your excuses. He craves your repentance. God doesn't want your excuses. He craves your repentance and coming back to Him. What would you fill in with your because today? Why would you say that your heart is filled with bitterness or anger? Why would you say that you've embezzled? Why would you say that you've committed adultery? What would be your excuse? I will tell you this, it won't hold water. And you don't want it to hold water. Because as a child of God, you want to come home. In order for you to come home, you've got to come to grips with your sin. What did the story of the prodigal son say? And when he came to himself, God wants us to come to ourselves. And recognize and wake up our sin. Because of my foolishness, David had a stupid moment. He went on the roof. He looked out across. He was bored. He sees a woman bathing. Rather than going downstairs and turning on ESPN, he wants to know who she is. He finds out that it's Bathsheba and it's the wife of Uriah, one of his best friends, one of his bodyguards, one of his 30 valiant men. he brings her into the palace and commits adultery with her. Okay? He was stupid. I don't know what your stupid might be, but be aware of it. You know, you can ask this man, and you can ask that man. And this happened, I think, this week with me and you. We were talking about a situation. And I said, well, Brent, you know what I always say? When we hear crazy things, a pastor did this or a pastor did that, my prayer is, Lord, don't let me be stupid. I Listen, I learned, let me tell you something, you need to write this one down too. I learned a long time ago, be weary when you go, that will never happen to me. I'll never let it happen. I'm stronger than that. No, friend, you're stupid. You're just stupid. You're just waiting for Satan to shoot you in the heart with an arrow. David reached the point where he said, because of my stupidity, because of my foolishness, I am bent over. I'm brought low all day long. I go around in mourning. My lawns are full of burning pain, and there's no health in my body. Are you getting a picture? You know, again, I, I don't know, but every commentary said, whoever this guy is, it sure sounds like leprosy. I told you God would do anything to bring you home. Well, Dwayne, that's not recorded in history. It seemed like it would be recorded. If, if David had leprosy, it would seem like that, 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 that would be recorded. Not if it was your favorite king. Have you not learned how we are editing history as we go? And they too would edit history. I'm just saying. Whoever this is and whatever it is, it sounds a lot like leprosy. For my loins are full of burning pain. There's no health in my body. I'm faint. I'm crushed. I groan because of the anguish of my heart. And then he shows this transparency moment. Lord, my every desire is known to you. My sighing is not hidden from you. And I told somebody we're talking about. It's, it's amazing the Bible. You yeah, have read your Bible. It's interesting. Heart palpitations. My heart races. His heart, there's heart problems. He's a pacemaker. His heart races. My strength leaves me. Even the light of my eyes have faded. A man who used to be the crooner, the singer, with life in his eyes, eyes that would dance, now have eyes that are dull and lifeless. And by the way, you know what's incredible? If I had time, I'd get it out and put it on the screen. That my grandson last week was sick. And, and Sarah sent me a picture of him. And he had a virus. And his eyes were dull and lifeless. Have you ever noticed that with your kids? When they have a fever. When the fever breaks, the life comes back. But when they, are, when they have an infection or something, their eyes are lifeless. David had a spiritual infection. His eyes were lifeless. And then he goes on and said this. My loved ones. And this so points to leprosy. My loved ones and friends stand back from my affliction. And my relatives stand at a distance. Everybody wants to be around David, but not now. You've got to ask yourself the question. If you used to be in the group and now you're out of the group, why is that? Can, can I ask you a, a question? When people see you, do they run to you or from you? I want you to think on that. Do people, now? This, gosh, I don't to be candid because I, I don't want anyone to go, well, now, who are you to say that? I experience it. You ask my office staff. There's days I walk in, in fact, Linda Paul said this past week about me, you're in rare form this week. I was cracking more jokes and Carter's Got Pills. But they'll tell you, there's some times I come to the office and I'm not that chipper. Ask them, ask these guys. They'll tell you. There are times the light goes from my eyes. There are times people say, oh boy, Dwayne's in the office. And there might be some times they say, not sure I want to go to work today because Dwayne's in the office. That's not that bad. But you get my picture. At least I hope it's not that bad. <laughs> Do you get that picture? Do people run to you or from you? And again, it's, it's not your personality most likely because we become so Buddy with sin. So casual with sin, we think nothing about going days without ever saying, God, show me some sin. We come so comfortable with it. You know what happens. If you don't wear gloves, for a while your hands blister when you work, but eventually you build what? Calluses. And you learn to work without the gloves. I'm so afraid that in America, particularly in churches today, we become so comfortable with sin, it doesn't even bother us anymore. And again, I'm not talking about the adultery. Hopefully, if you're in that one, it'll bother you. But I'm talking about this sense of the heart thing. You know, looking at things on TV, we have no business. Repeatedly, just looking, looking, ingesting things in our lives. Wow. So what do we do with all that? What do we do with all that? One, you delay lunch a few days. (laughs) No. Look at Hebrews 12 on your sermon sheet. Guys, I'll have it up here. Because God is relentless in His love, not His punishment. God wants... If you're a child of God, if you're a child of God, if you're a child of God, He wants you to come home. He misses you. He created you to worship Him. He created you... To have fellowship with Him, and if there's garbage in your life right now as a believer, there are probably some of these words describe how you feel, and some evidences even in your world. Well, Hebrews twelve eleven says this: For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I went duh. I don't ever remember going after Dad spanked me. I had a spanking daddy. Anybody ever have a spanking daddy? Yeah, I had a spanking daddy. And he'd spank me. I don't remember going, Dude, Dad, give me five, baby. Let's do that one again. Yo! I don't run too many. Well, there's not too many people that just say, Yay! No. No discipline seems pleasant for the moment. But later. But later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's God's desire. God brings disciplined situations to our lives not to punish but to bring the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. Listen, God loves you too much to leave you lost and God loves you too much to leave you carnal. He called you to the abundant life. Now, I'm going to tell you a long time ago I learned something you can't be abundant and have unconfessed sin in your life. Anybody say amen? You just know it. No, been, been living long enough to know that's true. So, so what happens? Look at verse 12. It's powerful. It's just good. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. Now, I'm going to do something that you shouldn't ought to do. But I'm going to do it today because I'm warning you I'm going to do it. What I'm fixing to say, that is not exactly what the author meant. But it has the context of it. And it's a great illustration to prove it. When when the the author of Hebrews says, therefore, because he's talking about discipline. He's talking about the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, because of the goal of peaceful fruit. Therefore, lift up drooping hands. Now, again, I don't know if it's exactly what he's talking about, but what popped in my brain? Worship. When I I kept silent, there wasn't too much of a desire to raise my hands and worship. When you are silent and there is unconfessed sin in your life, do you really want to worship a lot? Do you really want to worship a lot? No, you don't. The author of Hebrews says, therefore, because discipline may not be, be, be great, it may not feel well, but it brings a peaceful righteousness, therefore, worship. Therefore, strengthen your weak knees. If there's ever a time, if there's ever a time, if there's ever a time, we ought to pray. It ought to be times when we know our eyes are liftless, when our friends are leaving us, and we know something's going on, it is time to get on your knees before God and say, God, what is going on? And if you don't know your sin, the Holy Spirit will show you your sin. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time as a believer you got on your face before God and said, God, something's going on. Help me. I need to know. And sometimes you get an answer and sometimes you don't. I'm telling you what. There's a time we need to worship. There's a time when we need to have strengthening knees that are willing to bend in prayer. And straight paths. Straight paths for your feet. Where should the path go? Right there. You don't need a psychiatrist. You don't need to read some self help book. You need to get on your knees at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus Christ, who died for me, Jesus Christ, who loves me, I bow at your feet in full surrender. God, what do you want me to do? What is in my life that's keeping the light in my eyes away? There's room at the cross. Not only for salvation, but for day-by-day life. And we will worship, if we will pray, and we'll find our way to the cross, we will find the abundant life that God wants us. Can I have an amen? Does that make a little bit of sense? He goes on and says this. Make that path straight so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. God wants to bring healing. He loves you. Do you believe that today? I know you believe it when you get the pay raise, and, and you know, when things are going wonderful, but do you believe it when difficulty comes? When, not only when difficulty comes, but when you, when you know God may be disciplining you because you know there's some junk in your life. There's a scripture that I want to close with in Revelation 3, 19 and 20. How many times have we seen the scripture misused? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And we would tell a lost man how Jesus is standing at the door to knock. And that is not the context. It's a beautiful picture, but it's not the context. He is talking to the church, the church, the church at Laodicea. He's talking to believers. In fact, you see that. Look at verse number 19. Those whom I love. Does God love you? Does God love you? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. God's discipline is an act of love, not an act of punishment. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So, he says, be zealous, be passionate, be quick about it. Be zealous and what? Repent. We forgot about repentance. We figured out I could look at Brent and be mad as snot at Brent, talk behind his back, stab him in the heart. Then I go home in my little prayer closet and get on my knees and say, Dear Jesus, I know I treated Brent wrong today, and I'm sorry. Thank you. What? What is that? Let me just tell you what that is. That ain't biblical. Where are we going to learn that God expects repentance with confession? That I get on my face before God, and first of all, I probably need to go to Him. But then I get on my face before God and say, God, what I did was wrong. It's wrong. And I am seeking your forgiveness, and Father, I turn from that sin. I'm going this way, and I choose to go this way. Repentance. What happened to repentance? What happened? I know, again, we we understand repentance for the nuclear bomb. I did it once. I'm not going to be stupid again. But what about anger and jealousy and bitterness and all that junk that undermines the power of the church, that keeps that world from believing in Jesus Christ? Be zealous and repent. Now we get the picture. Behold, do you see it in the video? Jesus standing at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, and remember this is the church. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Fellowship. The light back in your eyes. The joy back in your heart and in your step. The abundant life. Remember you used to get up and want to come to church? Do you, do you remember you wanted to read your Bible? Do you remember you wanted to be around other believers? Do you remember when other things didn't even seem like a pool? Uh, Charlie and I, Charlie taught Sunday school this morning we're talking about gods at war and those gods, they didn't even look attractive. Those other gods. Yeah. Be zealous and repent. I stand at the door knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and have lunch with him. How great. All right, give me about three minutes and I am done. D-O-N-E, done. So, what are we going to do? What's the two things we can really do with this? All right, first off, there's something you need to pray regularly. And again, in case you haven't guessed, I'm a big proponent of the Word of God. I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning that my opinion doesn't matter a whole lot. God's does. Listen to this verse. Again from Psalms. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. This is not on your sheet. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Here's a regular prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. A regular part of your prayer life should be, God, search my heart. Show me if there's anything in my life that needs to go. A regular part of your life. Now again, this is really important because of the culture we live in. We live in a culture where in most churches, anything goes. Whatever you want to do is somehow justifiable and okay. They totally, too many churches, excuse me, have thrown this out. We ain't throwing this out. We're not. We're not. So search me, God. If there's something in this book that says do and I'm not, or don't and I am, God speak to my, show me the wickedness. Show me the wickedness. And then, of course, when you get shown the wickedness, what are you going to do with it? Confess and repent. You're going to tell God you agree with him. Hey, God, I agree with you. It's not my wife's fault. It's not the deacon's fault. It's not my friend's fault. It's me. It's me. And God, I'm going this way. I'm going to turn around. This is radical. This is a life changer. This is a life changer. Huge. And boy, I don't even want to close with this, but I really got to, I think. And this is Hebrews 12. It's right before what we talked about this morning. I am so concerned in America, not in, Dor- not in Dorsville, but I'm concerned in America. That There's a lot of folks who are like me when I was 20 years old. I was so steeped in religion. I mean, I was good. I was good at being good. But I was lost. But when I did sin and I knew it, I may feel guilty about it. But guilt's not a very good motivator anyway. So I feel guilty for a day and go on with it. What does it mean if we never sense conviction? What does it mean if we never sense conviction of the Holy Spirit? Or what if it means we never get disciplined? It's like we can do anything we want and God just like, go ahead. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. But what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. I don't want to stand before God one day and try to explain to him I'm milly-mouthed around this issue today. I want you to check. I want you to examine. I want you to look in your heart. And I want you to be 100% certain that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And this is a key indicator I believe Scripture teaches that if we can go out and just do whatever we want to do with no conviction and no discipline, you'll wonder what we got. Because religion will let you do that. Jesus won't. Jesus won't. So my two bottom lines today after all that is, and by the way, gosh, again, keep in mind, this is all about love, not punishment. But my two big things is we need to get back into the habit of asking God to examine our hearts. Because I'm telling you, the heart is desperately wicked and who can know it? Your heart will lie to you. Your heart will tell you you're right. Your heart will tell you you're justified. It will lie, 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 lie. And we need God to examine our hearts and speak the truth to us. And then, you know, David, I've grown to love this Holy Spirit song to fill the atmosphere, to fill the atmosphere. i am asking the Holy Spirit today to speak to your hearts. And if you're here today, And maybe God spoke your heart about your salvation experience. Is it real? Is it genuine? Is there evidence of a continuing conversion experience? If there is not, my brother Brent would be standing down front. And we'd love to share with you. I did that 40 years ago, this October uh, 25th. 40 years ago with my pastor in between Sunday school and worship. I was the worship leader. His song director walked up to him and said, We need to talk went to his office and I said, Brother Gene, if I died right now, I'd split hell wide open. I need Jesus. I need a Savior. And that day, he saved me. I don't know about you or not, but it's a bottom line when you do examine. Would you bow your heads right there? Thank you for your patience. Thank you so much. Guys, I just believe this is so big. And we're going to pray in just a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts. I love the picture of Jesus standing at the door knocking. Just for fun, we'll say, you're here today without him. He's on the outside of your life, and he's knocking on your door. That's not the context, but it's still a beautiful picture. Behold, I stand at the door knocking. And he's saying, I want to come into your life and be your Savior. And then we'll go into the context. And he's knocking at your door going, I've longed for fellowship with you again. I've longed for fellowship with you again. Please open the door and let me come back in to your life. Brother Brennan be down front. This whole day was designed for this decision time. Let's let the Holy Spirit fill this place and work in our hearts. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for this opportunity. Holy Spirit, I pray in the powerful name of the Son that you love, that you would speak to hearts. If there's someone here who's never experienced your amazing grace, God, may your Holy Spirit draw them to salvation today. If there's a brother or a sister, and today they have realized that we have become way too comfortable with our sin. Holy Spirit, speak to them now. Let them walk over the the door of their hearts and turn the knob and bring Jesus back into full fellowship of their lives. Just like we're fixed in joy, a time of fellowship, may that fellowship happen in our hearts. Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for what you're going to do.